Well, good morning. My name is Kevin Oslunds, and uh, many of you may not know me, and that's totally okay. By day, I'm the director of enrollment out at Clark Summit University, and a student there, and a husband, and a father of three. Um, and by night, I get to lead Voyager here at Bridgewater Tonkanic. Thursday night, so Voyager, let's hear it. Those of you who are not clapping need to come out and experience Voyager. This is for your kids in grades kindergarten through fifth grade um, to come out and just enjoy a great time of getting to know, know and learn more about God while interacting with kids their age in a program that's designed just for them. Uh, it piggybacks on what we do on Sunday morning. So if you love what's happening over there right now, you'll love what's happening on Thursday nights. And if you want to come serve with us, we've got some spaces where we can fill you in and fit you in, but we would love for you to be praying for the ministry of Voyager. Uh, and I also said that I am a, a student at Clark Summit University in the Baptist Bible Seminary. Uh, I also work there. So if you love what I have to say this morning, it's because of Clark Summit University. If you hate what I have to say, I'm still a student, okay? Give me a break. <laughs> but this morning, we're going to continue our series on the final countdown. And I wanted to just start with a story. Sarah and I, for two years, had been wondering if we would be able to have children. And the time had finally come after two years of not knowing if that was going to happen for us or not. Spoiler alert, you guys already heard I'm a father of three. <laughs> we finally got the news that we were pregnant, that Sarah was pregnant. And we got the joy of hearing my daughter's heartbeat for the very first time. Parents, you remember that moment? And I remember I took my phone in to record it so I could just listen to it again and again. And that excitement, that anticipation of what this little heartbeat meant. And for month after month after that, for the next nine months, we went to doctor's appointments. We saw this little blur and blob on the screen transform into what actually looked like a human. And we anticipated with great excitement, the day when we would get to meet her. And that day came, and that day went. Her due date, she had, was totally comfortable, had nowhere she needed to be. So we went in for a follow-up appointment the week after she was due, like, all right, doc, what's up? Is this kid moving anywhere, or is she going to stay put? But all along that process, we saw all the signs that a baby was coming. And by and large, it was a healthy baby. Uh, there were some minor issues, as there always are with pregnancies. So if you're in your first round, don't worry. God's got this. But we got into the, the routine appointment that day. And, well, it became pretty clear that we weren't going to be leaving the hospital that day. That baby was going to come and that things were moving forward. So I, I walked Sarah over to Labor and Delivery Ward and went to move the car because I was like, we're going to be here for a couple of days. We can't just like double park on the street. Um, moved it into long-term parking. By the time I got back up, Sarah's hooked up to all these wires and monitors and tubes and knobs. And I'm looking at her like, what is happening? She's got an oxygen mask on her face. I'm like, this is not how it was supposed to go. And doctors are going in and out of the door, out of the, out of the room like it's a revolving door until one of them finally says, baby's heart rate is at 40 beats per minute. We got to go. And I get hurled to the side of the room because I don't matter in this situation. That's okay. 
and I watch as my wife and my not-born-yet daughter are being carted down the hall, and I'm sitting there wondering, standing there wondering, is this going to be the best day of my life or the worst? Because that baby needed to come out, and if it didn't come out, I was going to lose both of them that day. So here I am standing in this anticipation, anxiety, waiting to find out what happens next. And one of the doctors or nurses finally remembered me and said, oh yeah, that dad guy, um, let's get him some scrubs and a hairnet and a N95 mask before they were cool um, and these sterile booties and let's make him wait right outside of the hospital, the operating room in case we can bring him in. Maybe it was 20 minutes between the time when they threw me against the wall and ran Saren down the hall and when I got to hear Sophia's cries for the first time. But it felt like an eternity. Have you guys ever been in that place where the anticipation and anxiety of what's going to happen but has not yet happened is all that you can think about and time just stands still? We're in this place of waiting and not being able to do anything hopefully praying and trusting that somehow God's got this. Maybe it was that time you got called into the meeting, 4 p.m. on a Friday afternoon, not knowing if you were going to have a paycheck after that. Maybe it was for some of you waiting on that college acceptance letter. Am I going to get in? Are they going to decide my future? Or maybe you pulled out your phone, you sent the text message, and you see three little dots just waiting to decide your fate. But we've all been in that season of anticipation and waiting, and that's the point where we're gonna pick up where the disciples are at today as we begin in, or continue to look at the final countdown, wondering, is this the end? And now, to set up the context of where we're at, we're gonna jump back a chapter uh, from where we were last week, looking at the Olivet Discourse, as Adam described it, um, and we're just going to see what's going on and give you a little bit of context where Jesus is preaching from. So we're not going to read all of chapter 23, but if your Bible has, I don't know what they call them, the headlines, I like to call them, over the sections, uh, mine describes this as seven woes to the scribes and Pharisees. This is Jesus coming in and saying, woe to the Pharisees, woe to these great religious leaders, not because they didn't know their Bible. That wasn't the problem. These guys knew the Bible better than you or I, better than probably any of our seminary professors, better even than Pastor Kurt and Adam. Their problem was that they had gotten so wrapped up in their own interpretation of what God's word said, and they got so comfortable in the life that they were living that they failed to do what God's word says. And that's a danger that I wanna warn us about today because it's really easy as we'll see one of the signs later, to let our love grow cold, not just for God's word, but for his people, who he has called us to. And it says, seven woes to the scribes and Pharisees. In verse 13, he says, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who enter to go in. Man, I don't want that said about me. I don't want God to say about Kevin Oslins, you shut the door to the kingdom of heaven to people because you held the keys to it and you didn't let them in. 
And later on, he says in verse 27, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. Jesus was really good about pulling punches with his adversaries. You whitewashed tombs, you are filthy because you're not doing what God's word says. And I hope upon hope that that doesn't apply to us in this room. But yet I know because this is true of my life that sometimes I take God's word and I put it on the shelf and I don't take it as seriously as, as I should. But we are going to pick it up in 2337 where Jesus just mourns and laments over Jerusalem, the holy city, because as he's looking at it, it's anything but holy. He says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers, how often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings. But you wouldn't let me. You had my word. You had all of these warning signs. You have what you need to love me as you should, to let me love you as I want to. But you're holding me at bay. You're giving me the stiff arm saying, no, don't come near me, God, because my life is too comfortable. My life is too good the way that it is. He says, and now look, your house is abandoned and desolate, for I tell you this, you will never see me again until you say, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus is saying, things are going to change. They're about to get real here. And before we jump into the disciples' response and see what they did differently with Jesus' words than the Pharisees and the religious leaders, I wanted to take a quick look at this timeline to just give you a little bit more context of what we're talking about. Because Jesus, this may surprise some of you, it might be a little bit mind-blowing to you, but Jesus was not a Christian. Jesus was a good Jewish man. He grew up understanding, reading the Torah, and obeying all of the how many commandments? Pop quiz, y'all. How many commandments in the Old Testament? Uh, did I hear six? Maybe 10 we think of? How about 613? 613 commandments. Easy way to remember this. Uh, somebody will have to help me with the math. 613 minus 365. 365 of them are ways of not to live. You know, don't steal, don't murder, don't commit adultery, all of those don'ts. 365, one for every day of the year. And help me out with the numbers there. 248 are do this commandments. Honor the Sabbath and keep it as holy. And in the Jewish mindset at that time, that represented every bone and major organ in your body. So in other words, if you want to follow God's law, you got to do it every day of your life with every bone and fiber of your being. Does that sound easy? <laughs> but that's what God calls us to. And Jesus is the one who's going to simplify all of those 613 commandments to two. He says, the greatest commandment, it says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Anybody know the second one that's like it? Love your neighbor as yourself. Brogan's got his hand up because he's been in Voyager. He knows this. Yeah. <laughs> To love your neighbor as yourself, that's like it. Because if you don't love your neighbor, you can't say that you love God. Those things don't work together. 
So as we look at this chart, we see Israel, and that was God's chosen people who he gave the Old Testament to and chose to work through in all of the Old Testament. He's the one who gave them the prophecies of the Messiah, what he would look like, their saving one, their leader and forgiver who would come one day. And then when that Messiah came, his name is Jesus, by the way, he started the beginning of the church age, and that's why we represent that with the cross, because all of history rises and falls with the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Whether you believe that or not today, that's the gospel truth. And that's what I'm going to challenge each one of you today, to look at this timeline and see my life rises and falls with that second point right there, what I believe about Jesus Christ. And if I believe him to be true, I need to do and act on what he said. I can't be like these Pharisees and hypocrites who read God's word, memorized it, knew what it said, but failed to do what it says, to be a whitewashed tomb. And as we begin our, or as we continue our series in the end times, that's where we're going to continue now. We're still living, some would say, in the church age. Some might say maybe we're living in the tribulation. This is a chart of what Bridgewater Church believes, uh, that we're in the church age, there will be the rapture when all of God's people will be called up to him, then seven years of tribulation, then Jesus will return for his millennial kingdom reign where God will rule on earth and it will be as on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, and then the, we'll have the final judgment where God will separate those who trust in Jesus Christ as their leader and forgiver from those who don't. And those who trust in him as leader and forgiver will live in eternity in goodness with God with all that is love and good and wonderful. And those who have failed to trust in him will live in eternity separated from everything that is good, from God, who is their creator, who loves them intimately and deeply. And if you're in this camp today, your job is to go and love your neighbor, to tell them the good news of the gospel, not to get caught up in the weeds, but to go out and live it out. So now we're gonna jump in and see where Jesus goes from here after he prescribes woe on all these Pharisees in Matthew 24. As Jesus was leaving the temple grounds, his disciples pointed out to him the various temple buildings, but he responded, do you see all these buildings? I tell you the truth. They will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. And this is the disciples looking out and saying, Jesus, look how beautiful and amazing the temple is. Isn't it awesome that we get to worship and serve our God in a kingdom like this? But if you've got kids, I told you I've got three kids, who have ever played with Legos, this is what Jesus is talking about. One of them's over here building their castle, building their kingdom, and saying, look at how amazing this is. And then the next one comes in and <laughs> destroys it all. That's what Jesus is saying he's going to do, or that's going to happen, rather, that this temple structure, this complex, and this complex faith of Judaism, this temple is not going to stand. Not one stone will be left on this because people had been worshiping that temple as an idol. And what he says is, my word will stand. Later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately and said, tell us, when is all this going to happen? I've got appointments I've got to keep here, Jesus. What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? What the, question, the question that they're asking is, 
What is the final countdown before Jesus returns? What is the final countdown? What's going to happen? How are we going to know that this is the end? And Jesus continues. He tells them, don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Wars and threats of wars, that sounds kind of scary, doesn't it? It's a good thing we live in a time and day and age when we don't have that going on, right? But don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. These are only the previews, guys. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. Oh, good news, Jesus. Thanks. It's really comforting. I feel great about that. But all of this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. Jesus is saying, all of this terrifying, horrifying, scary stuff, that's just the coming attractions, guys. This is just the beginning of the birth pains. But friends, without birth pains, there's no birth. And birth is what we're looking forward to. Birth is that moment that Sarah and I had hoped for, for year upon year, for month upon month, doctor's appointment after doctor's appointment, and finally we sat there on that day, me sitting outside of the room, wondering, worst day or best day, what's going to happen? Without the birth pains, without the contractions, without the morning sickness, without all of the craziness that goes on with pregnancy, there is no birth. And the birth that Jesus is pointing us forward to is way better than the amazing, almost eight-year-old, bookworm, adventure-loving little girl that I get to know and love today, as much as we can imagine that. But what Jesus is talking about is his return, the end of times, and it can be really easy to look at all these things and sit back in fear and being terrified that I don't know what's going to happen Yes, you do. Jesus told you. And he says, these are just the birth pains. If you want the birth to come, we've got to have the birth pains. So as we look at our study of the end times, and as we think about that chart that we looked at, what I want to encourage you is, if your view of the end times is going to keep you from loving God and loving your neighbor, your view of the end times is wrong. And you're no better than the Pharisees and the hypocrites, the religious leaders in Jesus' day, who read all of his word but failed to do what it says. And if your view of the end times ends up making you live in fear, being the chicken little, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, without telling anybody the resolution that's in Jesus Christ, you're doing it wrong. So what is the final countdown? We expect that these things are going to happen when... We got pregnant, of course. We wanted to know all of the things that were going to happen. We probably had a copy of what to expect when you're expecting, maybe even what, you're, what to expect when you're expecting to expect. <laughs> but we have that book right here. Jesus tells us in no uncertain terms the things that will happen, the checklist, so to speak, that must occur before he returns. So let's run through that now in Matthew 24. He says that Jesus' followers are going to be hated all over the world. Do we think that's happening today? 
Do we think that started happening immediately after Jesus' death as these men and women went out telling people about the good news of this crucified and now risen Messiah? Matthew 24, 9 says, Then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. This is a promise from God. Okay? So when we see this happening, let's not be afraid. Let's take this as great confidence. God's doing what he said he would do. We're going to see a lot of deconversions. Matthew 24, 10 says, And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. Now, many turning away from me, I want to be very clear on this because this gets into some dicey theological waters of, well, if somebody is saved, can they lose their salvation? I would answer firmly no. What this is talking about is people who are kind of just dipping their toe in Christianity that maybe they showed up to church when it was convenient for them, but they weren't living out God's word. They didn't fully trust in Jesus as their healer and forgiver, leader and forgiver. Those people who are just nominal Christians, those people are going to run away. They're not the core. They're not the committed followers of Jesus Christ. If you are saved, if you trust in Jesus Christ as your leader and forgiver, you can't lose that. Okay? If you have any questions or concerns about that, I would love to talk with you after the service. I'm sure Kurt would as well. Um, Adam actually ran away last week. Too many of you tried to take him off on the offer of uh, his 99.99 disaster prep specialty kit. Um, but he'll be back, allegedly. <laughs> We're going to see a lot of people running away from the church and running away from the faith. We seeing that today? How many of you have friends who have deconstructed, that they've, they've grown up with some church hurt, and maybe that's some of you as well, that the church has hurt you, and I get that. I've been there. It's hurt me too. But let's be careful not to throw out the baby with the bathwater here, because just because people have hurt you doesn't mean that Jesus has hurt you. He is still good. He is still the forgiver. He is still our healer, our forgiver, our leader, the one that we can trust and put everything in. So if you've had church hurt, I would encourage you, not deconstruction, but I think it was Ginger used to be Duggar of uh, 18 Kids and Counting, wrote a book where she talked about disentangling her faith because we've all grown up with these messy images of what Christianity is supposed to be like. So instead of just tearing the house down, Let's look to God's word and separate the truth from fiction, okay? I'm sorry if the church has hurt you, but let's not throw out Jesus with people who have used his name inappropriately. We're going to see many false prophets, and they're going to deceive many. Some of you have had experience with those people. We're going to have people all over the world uh, Matthew 24, 11, this is right from the text. Many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. What I love about the Bible is his word is crystal clear in most of the areas that have any significant importance. On the areas where we're not crystal clear, like when we're talking about the end times, it's okay to hold differing views and differing beliefs. But we have to be careful of these false teachers who are going out there to deceive many. Anybody been on TikTok lately? They'll let anybody on there. They let me on there, okay? <laughs> and there's people out there who will use God's word and twist it and distort it in grotesque ways 
to glorify what they're doing or their belief systems. Those are false teachers. The only way that you're going to recognize false teachers is by being with the true teacher, by being in his word and knowing what it says. If you have questions about that, please bring them up. There's a great to discuss in your small groups. Bring them to Pastor Kurt, Pastor Adam, to myself. We would love to help you work through these things. But don't be deceived. Wickedness will increase and love will grow cold. This one hurts my heart. Because love is not meant to be served cold. This is supposed to be warm and affectionate and passionate and gracious, forgiving sins. Love covers over a multitude of sins, right? But when we've been hurt and we keep on getting beaten down because we've allowed ourselves to be vulnerable with others, it's easy to just, I'm just not going to feel anything. I'm not going to help them. They're just going to hurt me. Don't let your love grow cold because God has commanded us to love God and to love others. The verse says, sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold. May that not be said about you. May Bridgewater Church, may each of you individually and in your families be known as people who passionately love God's children, whether they've hurt them or not. Let us be known in our community for how we care so deeply for those who may even hate us. The gospel will be preached all throughout the whole world. This is something that was not possible 100 years ago, 30 years ago. But now the same platforms that are allowing these false teachers to have such a great megaphone they're allowing the true gospel to have a megaphone as well. The word of God can go out to the ends of the earth. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it and then the end will come. Guys, if we want the birth to come, if we want Jesus to return, go tell your neighbor about Jesus. This is what we're hoping for, remember? Not let's get scared about the end times because, well, a lot of bad things are going to happen. But let's usher them in because a lot of good things are going to happen. The challenge with this is that we have to be patient in waiting for God to do what he says he's going to do with great expectancy and urgency, knowing that apart from knowing Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, your friends, neighbors, relatives, co-workers, they're going to spend eternity apart from him. So use the motivation of the end times. Every time you hear something scary, wars and rumors of wars, go tell somebody about Jesus. And finally, this one we can just gloss right over. Everybody understands what we're talking about. Another abomination that causes desolation. We good? We'll close out. Okay, so this was a historic event that Daniel predicted uh, back in his book that bears his name. The day is coming when you will see what Daniel the prophet spoke about, the sacrilegious object that causes desecration standing in the holy place. Reader, pay attention. What? And Jesus' followers and even the religious leaders at this time would have understand what Jesus was talking about. There was an event that took place where the, the temple of Jerusalem of Israel was desecrated. There was a leader who came in and sacrificed a pig 
on the altar in the temple where, first of all, he shouldn't have been. Second of all, a pig is obviously known as a not kosher food. It was an unholy animal that should never have been in that place anyway. And that was referred to as the first abomination of desolation. And what Jesus is saying is there's going to be some event, and this one's unclear, but I'm fairly confident we haven't seen it yet. There will be some event where a holy place to Christians and Jews will be utterly desecrated in a disgusting manner. And Jesus said, these are the things that need to happen before I can come back. You think we're getting close? Jesus' return is imminent. It could happen at any moment. Jesus can return for the church at any time. So then, how should we live? That's the ultimate question of today. What should we do differently because of what we know about the gospel truth and that Jesus is going to return? We should not be afraid. 2 Timothy 1.7 tells us, I have not given you a spirit of fear and timidity, but a power, a, a spirit of power and love and self-control. These are the things that should embody those of us who know Jesus as leader and forgiver. We should not be preppers like Adam talked about last week in his 99.99 deal that, all right, end of the world is coming. Let's get underground and make sure that I have enough to sustain myself because Jesus did not call his people into the end times to just survive them. Jesus called us into the end times to thrive and to make his kingdom known, to build his kingdom through the end of the world. How selfish would it be for us to know that Jesus is coming back, to know that our neighbor is going to go to hell without knowing him, and to take the gospel underground into our bunker with us. Let's make sure we are ready to bring the gospel to our neighbors, our friends, our relatives. And finally, we need to, what we do need to do is to live personally right with God. Be in God's word. Know what it says so that you can be prepared to give a defense for the hope that is in you. There are Bible reading plans in the back on the Welcome Center. Please, 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 if you don't have something already, pick it up. Go to the YouVersion Bible app. You can pick up a Bible in the year. It's not too late. You can just start on January 21st and end on January 21st. There's no magic date about January 1st. Do something to start reading the Bible and memorize what it says. Know what God's word says. Ingrain that in your heart. For those of you who are here and you don't know Jesus as leader and forgiver yet, what's holding you back? If not now, when? Will you have an opportunity tomorrow? You don't know. And if you're going to give yourself to Jesus, why wait? Surrender yourself. If you don't know how to do that, we're going to pray right now, and we'll give you the opportunity to just in some way repeat these words or internalize them in your hearts. For those of you who do know Jesus as your leader and forgiver already, I challenge you to think through these questions of how should I then live? And am I living as if Jesus' return is going to happen like he said it is? Am I living right with God? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you are not a God of obscurity, but a God of clarity, and that you have told us 
beyond the shadow of a doubt, the things that must happen before you will return. And God, we hold great hope knowing that you are going to return, that you are good. And Father, for those in this room who don't know you yet as leader and forgiver, who this is news to, Father, I pray that they will surrender themselves to you to admit that, man, the way I've been living life is not working out the way I want it to. So God, take me, use me, work in me. I know that I've sinned, I know that I've done wrong, and I want to live for your kingdom because that's the only thing that matters. And Father, for those of us who have trusted in you, God, I pray that you will help us to live with urgency and expectancy as if your word is actually true. Father, help us not to be silent, not to be afraid, not to be ashamed of our faith, but to make you known boldly throughout the world. We pray these things in the most holy and amazing name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Mm -hmm.